What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It's Monday, May 2nd. I'm Travel Anderson. And I'm Josie Duffy Rice, and this is What a Day, where we are busy getting ready for tonight's Met Gala in case we get an invite in the next six hours. I am waiting on my invite from my old friend Anna Wintour. It is possible that they thought we were too cool to get an invite. You know. (laughs) On today's show, evacuations are underway for some of the Ukrainian civilians trapped in the city of Mariupol. Plus, we rank President Biden's best jokes from the White House Correspondents' Dinner. But first, there is, dare I say it, good or at least relatively good news about COVID in the U.S. Based on recent stats, this current COVID wave is relatively mild, especially considering what we've seen in the past. I like to hear that. So what are some of the data points you've seen out there? Uh, According to info from Johns Hopkins University, the daily COVID death rate has really, really slowed. So on March 11th, it was an average of over 1,200 people a day in the U.S. dying of COVID. Now it's about 300. So while that's still far too many people, Mm -hmm. that is about a 75% drop in less than two months. So that's big. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal looked at stats from the Northeast, which was the first region to see a surge of the newest Omicron variant. And it reported that the level of virus detected through wastewater there has flattened which is a good omen for the rest of the country. And while hospital admissions have increased in that region, they're still way, way, way below what we've seen during other surges. I like what I'm hearing. It's all good so far. Yes. Still, given how contagious this Omicron variant is, why does it seem that this one is hitting us less hard than past variants? I don't want no surprises, Josie. Right. (laughs) So there is no one answer to that question, but a big part of the reason might just be increased natural immunity. The CDC estimated last week that 60% of Americans have had the virus at this point. And so we might just be at a point where enough people have enough immunity that it's not Mm -hmm. racing through the population in the same way. Okay, so what does this all mean for the near future? In particular, our hot girl summers, exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about what really matters. It actually (laughs) depends on where you live. So the expectation, according to Dr. Deborah Burks, who is the White House COVID Response Task Force Coordinator, Dr. Burks says that from this point forward, the South will likely see COVID surges in the summer, while the North surges will likely happen in the winter around the holidays. Here she is on yesterday's CBS Face the Nation. What has happened each time is we've had a summer surge across the south and a winter surge that starts in our northern plains and moves down, accelerated by Thanksgiving and the holidays Mm -hmm. of Christmas, Kwanzaa um, and Hanukkah. And that's predictable. We have tools, better tools than we had a year ago. So we have the tools now to enable every American to not only survive, but thrive. But that means every American has to have access to these tools. Okay, so we're avoiding the South in the summer and avoiding the Northeast in the fall and winter. I can do that. (laughs) 
It's really not too bad of a deal, to be honest. (laughs) And Josie, we talked last week about Moderna applying for FDA approval of its vaccine for young children. What's new with that? Yeah, well, as of now, there are still 18 million kids five and under who cannot yet be vaccinated. Two of those 18 million live in my home. So I have a personal investment in let's mm-hmm. getting this show on the road. The FDA has announced three tentative days in June where they expect to review applications for Moderna and Pfizer for a five and under vaccine. But again, those dates are not set in stone. And while that would be a step forward, there would still be a ways to go before a five and under vaccine was approved. All right. So we're still holding out for the children. We are. That's all right. That's all right. We'll cross our fingers and hopefully you and your kids can get that soon. That would be awesome. Moving to the international front, some positive news out of Ukraine as Russia's invasion continues. Last week, we told you about the city of Mariupol, where Ukrainian civilians and military personnel were holed up in a steel mill. After numerous refusals by Ukraine to surrender the city, Ukrainian officials have brokered a deal with Russia to allow some civilians to evacuate safely. Wow, that is decent news for this (laughs) topic. So how did this um, come about? Yes. So the operation, which is in collaboration with the United Nations and the Red Cross, began over the weekend. It's unclear exactly how many people in total have been or will be evacuated, but Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky tweeted, quote, the first group of about 100 people is already heading to the controlled area, by which he means the city of Zaporizhia. Mm. But evacuees are also being taken to Russia-controlled territories. According to the Russian Defense Ministry, some 80 civilians have been taken to a small eastern Ukrainian village where they were given medical care and supplies. And in a statement carried by Russian state media, which can and should be taken with a grain of salt, the ministry said that civilians who wanted to leave for Ukraine-controlled areas, quote, have been handed over to representatives of the UN and the International Committee of the Red Cross. Yeah, this is one of those times I really, really, really want to believe the Russian state media. So let's <laughs> yes. hope. There's also some updates to share on how much the United States and its NATO allies have given to Ukraine in terms of military and humanitarian supplies. So what's new there? Yeah, so last week, a group of 40 nations gathered by the U.S. collectively agreed to streamline and expedite the delivery of weapons to Ukraine. And on Thursday, Biden asked Congress for another $33 billion, that's billion with a B, in supplemental funding to support Ukraine over the next several months, saying, quote, the cost of this fight is not cheap, but caving to aggression is going to be more costly if we allow it to happen. Then, over the weekend, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi became the highest-ranking official to meet with Zelensky since the war began more than two months ago. She and a congressional delegation spent over three hours on the ground in Kyiv. Here she is speaking with Zelensky. We believe that we are visiting you to say thank you uh, for your fight for freedom, that we are on a frontier of freedom, and that your fight is a fight for everyone. And so our commitment is to be there for you until the fight is done. This sounds like things are more optimistic than they were a few weeks ago. Obviously, things change day to day. There's no way to really know Mm -hmm. the answer to some of this. But Travel, what do we know about what's next and when this war might come to like 
dare I say, an end? Yeah. So on the Ukrainian side of things, the head of their military administration in Kharkiv said that four settlements have been recaptured from Russians. But we've also seen the violence in the eastern region of the country increase over the last couple weeks. And according to the New York Times, Russia's highest ranking officer visited the front lines of the conflict in eastern Ukraine late last week in an effort to, quote, change the course of their offense. There is some reporting out there that cites U.S. intelligence intercepts that suggests Putin might be looking at May 9th as a target date or deadline to finalize things, so to speak. So exactly one week from now, we don't know what finalize things means, right? But that is a prominent holiday already on the Russian calendar known as Victory Day, and it marks the Nazi surrender in World War II. Officials say Putin wants to be able to celebrate a victory of some kind on that day, so we will be keeping our eyes out on May 9th. So that's your update on Ukraine and Russia. That is the latest for now. Let's get to some headlines. Headlines. Thousands of people around the world took to the streets yesterday for May Day, also known as International Workers Day. Every year, folks come together on that day to show solidarity with workers and the labor movement across the globe. And yesterday was no different. So as you just heard in France, demonstrators clashed with police in protest of the country's newly re-elected president, Emmanuel Macron. The main protest was in Paris, where union workers marched to protest Macron's policies, specifically his plan to raise the retirement age from 62 to 65. In Cuba, thousands took to the streets of Havana and waved photos of revolutionary leaders in the air as they walked in celebration of the Cuban Revolution of 1959. And in Sri Lanka, protesters assembled in the capital of Colombo to demand the resignation of their president, Gotabaya Rajapaksha. The rally came just a few days after millions of Sri Lankan workers went on a one-day strike in protest of his administration, closing down essential businesses and schools. And Sunday's May Day rally was a continuation of the movement against Rajapaksha that began about a month ago amid the worst economic crisis the island country has seen. The Connecticut Senate passed a bill on Friday night to protect abortion providers from bans in other states. The bill is designed to do two things, increase the number of medical professionals who are allowed to perform abortions, as well as stop Connecticut courts from enforcing another state's penalties against local providers. It is in direct response to laws we've been following in other states, like Texas, which bans abortions after six weeks and allows individuals to sue anyone suspected of helping a person get the procedure. Connecticut joins other states moving to increase abortion access like New York and California, which have also recently allowed a wider range of medical specialists to perform abortion services. Next, Connecticut's bill heads to Governor Ned Lamont's desk, where he has already pledged to sign it into law, and it will go into effect in July. This is all happening while we await the fate of Roe v. Wade, because the U.S. Supreme Court might or probably will overturn it as early as next month. Turning now to the kind of gossip that's not very spicy, but still very important, gossip about canceling student loan debt. 
The Biden administration is reportedly discussing a variety of means tests to determine who is eligible for federal student loan debt forgiveness. According to multiple reports, top Biden aides are looking at a plan to exclude borrowers who make over $150,000 a year from relief so that a plan can prioritize lower income Americans. And administration officials have signaled that they will cut $10,000 per qualifying borrower per Biden's campaign promise. While this movement on the issue of student loans might seem good, progressive lawmakers and advocates worry about the barriers these means tests will create for borrowers. They argue that someone having student loans in itself is a means test because, hello, why would people borrow money if they could afford an education on their own? I just love loans. (laughs) And many say that only forgiving a small portion of someone's debt, like $10,000, won't provide much relief for folks with loans in the six-figure range. Like me. Well, the Debt Collective, which is the nation's first debtors union, said on Friday in a new petition, quote, if Biden were to cancel 10K for all 45 million borrowers, we'd still have a massive student debt crisis on our hands. Every person now carries a device in their pocket with the power to ruin their life with just a few clicks. And a now former member of UK's parliament has done just that. Neil Parrish resigned over the weekend after admitting he watched porn on his phone while in the House of Commons chamber. That is like watching porn while in the Senate. It's not cool. This all happened after two female colleagues claimed they saw Parrish looking at, quote, adult content at work. And by adult content, they did not mean laws, taxes and budgets. Parrish was suspended by his conservative party on Friday and resigned Saturday. During a BBC interview, the lawmaker came clean about two different times he watched X-rated content in Parliament. The first time, Parrish claimed he came across the porn by accident while searching for a tractor website. <laughs> Presumably farmhub.com. Things went wrong. But he confessed the second time was deliberate while he was waiting to vote with his fellow lawmakers. Here's a moment from that exclusive BBC interview. So what was going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, moment of madness. Um, And also totally wrong. Yeah. Wow. I think that's fair to say. Garish's actions follow several other recent acts of sexual misconduct and harassment committed by men in the UK's parliament, and more specifically in the Conservative Party. Just to remind you, Travel, that is a party of family values. Which apparently those family values include looking at porn while you're on the job. On the job. Taxpayer funded looking at porn on your phone. It's just so bold. You're not even in the bathroom, you know, one on one. You're on the floor. Like, come on. Do you not have an office? Like, I just feel like we could do this better, which makes me think (laughs) it was not the first or second time. Definitely not. Yikes. And those are the headlines. We'll be back after some ads with a critical look at the comedy stylings of the one and only President Biden. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, <laughs> everyone's getting flowers. <laughs> Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code WAD, books promo code WAD. 
It's Monday Wild Squad, and we're just days away from the event that puts the leaders of our country face-to-face with the people who hold them to account and encourages them all to be friends, ironically. <laughs> the White House Correspondents' <laughs> Dinner. The event was held on Saturday night in Washington, D.C., and was the first to feature a comedian as its MC since Michelle Wolf hosted in 2018 and made Sarah Huckabee Sanders feel bad about constantly lying. I forgot about her. Didn't you? Probably for the best. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She'll be on Dancing with the Stars or something soon, yeah, I'm sure. absolutely. This year's host was Trevor Noah, and Noah got some good lines in during his part of the show, like this one about one infuriating senator from Arizona. I'm not doing this just for the attention, all right? I'm a comedian, not Kirsten Cinema. all right? And by the way, give it up for <laughs> Kirsten Cinema. Whoever thought we'd see the day in American politics when a senator could be openly bisexual but closeted Republican, huh? <laughs> That's progress. That's progress. Well, we all know who does the truly cutting-edge jokes at the Correspondents' Dinner, though. A man who learned the art of comedy from the golden age of radio plays. President Joe Biden. So, Josie, our producers have pulled some of Biden's best jokes from Saturday night, and they want us to tell them our favorites. Are you ready? I am so ready. All righty, let's hear joke number one. This is the first time... The president attended this dinner in six years. It's understandable. We had a horrible plague, followed by two years of COVID. (laughs) Cute, cute. That was cute. It was cute. What's the next one? The very first president to attend the White House Correspondents' Center was Calvin Coolidge in 1924. I'd just been elected to the United States Senate. I remember remember telling him, Cal, just be yourself. Get up there and speak from the heart. You're going to be great, kid. You're going to do it well. Now, that was great. I I like that. that I like him making fun of the fact that he's ancient. (laughs) What else we got? All right, next joke. I know there are questions about whether we should gather here tonight because of COVID. Well, we're here to show the country that we're getting through this pandemic. Plus, everyone had to prove... They were fully vaccinated and boosted. So if you're at home watching this and you're wondering how to do that, just contact your favorite Fox News reporter. They're all here, vaccinated and boosted. Love that. Okay. I love a calling out a hypocrite. Yeah, shout out to the writers. Shout out Mm -hmm. to the writers. Mm -hmm. They did pretty okay there. Yeah. So we had the plague joke. We had the Calvin Coolidge joke. And we had that Fox News booster joke. In your opinion, Josie, what's Biden's best material here? I got to go with the Fox News booster joke. That's good. Yeah. He's just telling the truth. And the truth is funny. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I do think the Calvin Coolidge old man joke is like a close second. I would agree. Making jokes about Fox News is always funny to me. Can't go wrong. Cannot ever go wrong. That's our review of Biden's set this weekend. Remember that it's our right as members of a democracy to criticize the president's stand-up comedy. That is what we all vote for. And we are true patriots. Yes. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, be careful when visiting farmhub.com, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just instructions on how to do stand-up comedy when you're the president, like me, What A Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out or subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe. I'm Josie Duffy Rice. I'm Travel Anderson. And, and we're, we're waiting, waiting on our, our gala, gala invite. invite. 
Yes, I have a perfect pair of shoes that I've been waiting to break out, Josie. Maybe we could wear it's our time. gala outfits to the White House Correspondents' Dinner when we are co-presidents. Oh, the democracy we've all been waiting for, truly. From Wad to the White House. <laughs> What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine and Raven Yamamoto are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein, and our executive producers are Leo Duran and me, Gideon Resnick. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware.